you are listening to the Sermon Audio Podcast from Heights Baptist Church in Alvin, Texas. For more information about our church, you can find us at heightschurch.org. Now, if you are a guest with us or online, if you're watching for the first time, we would love to know um, who you are. We would love the opportunity to get to know you a little bit. And so if you're in the room with us, you can fill out this connect card and just give us some of the basic information. I'm over the connections ministry. And so I will be the one that directly reaches out to you. And uh, if you're online, you can click the link that's in the description and uh, fill out the the same form. And again, I will be the one that uh, will be your contact. I'll be the one that's reaching out to you and connecting with you. So um, one of the things I love about uh, just life in general is projects. I know that I'm not the only one. I love a good project. And I got that from my dad. From the time I was really young, my dad was just somebody that would constantly be having these, these projects going. When I was really little, it was like those model cars where you had to paint it. You know what I'm talking about? When you got a little bit older, uh, the paint got different and it wasn't water-based anymore. So you could really mess up some furniture uh, from experience. And also, uh, my family, when I was growing up from first grade to third grade, we lived in Idaho. And in Idaho, we had this huge yard where our dog, whose name was Shadrach, right? That doesn't have anything to do with the story. I just have to name drop my dog every once in a while. Childhood dog. And he had this giant yard where he could run around and he could play and he could hang out. But we ended up moving back to Texas as quickly as we could, although Idaho was pretty awesome. And when we moved back, my dad being a pastor, we moved into a parsonage. And this parsonage was on a little bitty uh, track of land that didn't have any grass, really. And the whole backyard was like concrete with a hurricane fence, right? So if you can picture that in your mind, right? So my dog that was uh, used to Idaho weather and the big yard and all of the everything got to come in and experience a concrete backyard, For the very first time. It was not very pleasant. I felt so much pity for that little dude, right? So what we did is we had a lady in our church. Her name was Miss Chick. And Miss Chick gave us a doghouse. And this was, a, this was not like one of those igloos that you can get at like Petco, right? This was an actual doghouse with a foundation, with boards, with a, with a roof, with shingles. It was a legit doghouse. I know you've seen ones like this before, right? Okay, so what happened, this really old doghouse that was given to us by Miss Chick, in the process of getting it from her home to our home, guess what happened? It broke. And now I know when something is non-living, you can't really give it a characteristic. So let me rephrase. We broke it, right? So me and my dad moving this doghouse, we broke this thing. And when we were looking at it, we realized that this thing had been well used. It had dogs that had lived in it. It had been in the weather for many, many years. And this thing was in shambles, right? The boards that used to give it all of the support were now broken. And we had to come up with a plan. Well, we didn't at first. At first, we just got the hammer and the nails and said, we got this. Because we're dudes. That's what we did. But then we said we need to have a plan 
Well, no, strike that. First we went to the store, got more hammers, more nails, more boards, and came back, didn't have enough, devised a plan, went back to the store, got more things. You know how projects go, right? So we had all of the components, all of the pieces to make this rotten, weathered, broken doghouse into something that it was supposed to be, a doghouse. But we didn't. The day at this point was coming to an end. The sun was going down. We moved all of the tools and all of the material into our shed. And the doghouse sat there unfinished. I was 10 years old the day that we decided we were going to be working on a doghouse. Now, I think that we just kept hitting these roadblocks. But over the next weeks and months, busyness set in. My dad and I, we're not lazy, but we started procrastinating. So this doghouse sat empty for longer than I care to admit. It wasn't even empty, it was just the foundation. Now, I know that you didn't come this morning for me to get up and talk about my childhood dog Shadrach and his doghouse, right? But I will say this, when we're going into the Old Testament, there is a lot of that attitude that goes on. The heartbeat of, well, we didn't have bad intentions. We just got busy. We procrastinated. We knew it needed to be done. So, in the book of Haggai, in the Old Testament, you have uh, this minor prophet. We don't know very much about him at all, but we do know that he writes in this way that, that gives God this personality. As a matter of fact, he constantly is using the actual name of God. He uses the word Yahweh. So if you're looking through Haggai chapter 1, you're going to notice Lord in all capitals. And the students in the room should know that when Lord is all capital, that means that it's Yahweh. It's the name of God. Now, there's 15 verses in Haggai chapter 1, and that name is mentioned 15 times. The personal name of God. Now, I think what this means, what it's showing us, is that the God of the Old Testament is personal. The God of the Old Testament is one that wants community with his people. He's the God that has a name. But, Five of those 15 times, it's Lord of hosts, right? Which is literally Yahweh of the armies of heaven, right? And so when you're, when you're looking at this passage throughout, you're going to notice five separate times that it says Lord of hosts, that not only is this a personal God, not only is this a God who speaks, not only is this a God who wants community with his people, but he's also a God that is in complete control. He's also a God that has things together, holds things together, is the author of salvation, is the creator of the universe. And you get this picture when it references Lord of hosts five separate times. Now, there's something else that you need to take away before I give you the backstory, the origin of what we're going to be talking about today. And that's this. We're going to talk about the temple and in the Old Testament, the temple was the dwelling place of God. It was where people could go in and they could worship God. They could offer sacrifices for their sins or have the priest do it. And it was a place where they could be in the presence of God. 
Now, when we're talking about this, this, uh, this passage out of Haggai, it refers to this as the house of the Lord, right? But it's important to realize that this was the actual dwelling place of God. And then lastly, um, I wanted to give you a little bit of background before I jump into the passage that we're going to be reading. And that's this. So the origin story, I don't know how many of you like a good story, but uh, I, for one, I am a comic book nerd. Well, maybe not comic books so much, but I like comic book movies. So I really, really have a love-hate relationship with origin stories, right? Sometimes you watch it and you're like, oh, that makes so much more sense now. And sometimes you watch it and you're like, why? Why did they ruin my favorite superhero? Come on, man. But this, when we're looking at this origin story, it explains so much about the attitude and the relationship that God's people had with God. Maybe the reasons that we have that, that we can look into their lives and see how it relates directly with us in the church of the New Testament and the New Covenant. So, for centuries, you had these men of God that would speak to the Israelites. Now, these people, they were called the prophets, and what they would do is they would constantly accuse the people of God that they were breaking covenant, that they were broken, that they didn't love righteousness, that they didn't seek justice. They were constantly breaking covenant with the God of the universe, with the Lord of hosts. So these prophets over and over and over again said, hey, if you don't turn things around, a nation's going to come and they're going to conquer you. And just like we might in today's day and age, if somebody were to come in and say, hey, we're about to be defeated, most of us in the room would be like, yeah, right. But there was a day it happened. The Babylonian Empire came in and they captured and enslaved, put into exile, the children of Israel. And the Bible teaches that for 66 years, these people were in captivity, in exile, in the land of Babylon. Because of their disobedience. 66 years. That's like more than double the amount of time I've been alive. How about you? No, I'm just kidding. We don't have to do ages. Nearly 70 years had gone by. And the Babylonian Empire was overthrown by the Persians. Any, any history buffs in here? The Persian Empire came in under the director of this king. His name was Cyrus. And Cyrus came in and he said, hey, uh, all of you that were captives and exiles under the old regime, under the Babylonian Empire, I'm going to allow you, if you want to leave, to go back to your home city and you can rebuild the, your lives, you can rebuild the city, and you can rebuild the temple to your God. And so, as you could imagine, there was quite a few of them, the Bible teaches around 50,000 people. 
that made the trek back from the empire back into Jerusalem to do this project of rebuilding. And what you need to know is this was a good thing. Things looked good. They looked promising. They looked like God was doing things, that he was restoring his people, that he was making right the broken, that all things seemed to be going in the right direction. Everything looked good, but not necessarily from Haggai's point of view. You see, what happened is this. You had all of these people that came in, and they did according to the book of Ezra, which was a contemporary of Haggai. They laid the foundation for the temple. That's a good thing. Think of that doghouse. That foundation was intact. And then they built an altar, and they began to worship God through sacrifice on the altar. That's kind of what you would expect if you were enslaved and you were in exile and now you were coming back and you're able to worship God again, right? On his home turf, in the place that he's supposed to dwell. But then something happened, and that brings us to the story of Haggai, where God said, hey, my people need a new word. They need something fresh. They need, they need something different. And it's not necessarily as, as calm and relaxing as you might anticipate God to say. So if you will, go with me to Haggai chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. It's in three sections, and so I'm going to talk about it as if there's scenes in a story. So scene number one, in the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai, the prophet, to Zerubbabel, the son of Shultel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Thus says the Lord of hosts, these people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came by hand of Haggai, the prophet. Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. In scene. Now I want you to think about this for a second. You have this picture of a group of people that have come back. They've been given everything. They've been given freedom. They come and instantly do what is right because they know what is right. But then something happens. After they begin to do what is right, they realize, hey, I need a house. I need land. Oh, you know what would be great? A second story. You know what would be fantastic? If I refurbed my master bedroom. Ooh, so good. You have these people that are so focused on the way that they, are, that they are going, that the way that they are building themselves up, the way that they are building their kingdom, and God says, hey, guess what? Until you build my house back, you won't be satisfied with the kingdom that you're building. Until you set your priorities straight, you will not be satisfied. You're not going to be quenched of your thirst. You are not going to be satisfied with your food. You are not going to be plentiful in your your crops. 
things will fall through. Things will happen. You won't be satisfied. It's like putting money in your wallet and it goes out the bottom. The picture that I thought right here was great. I don't know how many of you have ever had a lemon vehicle, like a car that was so bad, right? Yeah, I had several of those, right? Thank you, Keith Rhodes, right? But here's the thing. One of them was not so bad. It was just kind of old, right? And so what we did is my wife got a job, so we had double income, no kids. I don't know if any of you can relate to that. It was kind of nice. So we said, we don't need our 2002 Subaru anymore. Let's trade it in for something a little bit different. So we got a much newer, cheap, awful, terrible, no good car. From a no good dealer as well. So what happened is this. That vehicle, um, the old one was kind of reliable. It was broken sometimes, but no more than any other old car, right? But this new one, I mean, it was nice. It was like the cheapest car that you could buy at the time, but the interior, oh, it was so good. I'm telling you right now, it had like black leather interior. Like, keep in mind, this was not uh, upper-end car. This was like low-end, right? So black leather interior, it had like red stitching in the leather. It had, uh, it had a, a heater in the steering wheel. Like, a, like it didn't just have seat warmers. This thing had like heater in the steering wheel, right? Had a touchscreen that was like this. Never worked. But it had it. So while we had that car, the engine died. We found out that if the battery died, nothing on the car worked at all, at all. You couldn't just jump it because it was like a fancy space car. <laughs> and the transmission went out twice. This car was 11 years newer than the old one that we got rid of. And we, we had very few problems with the old one. And this thing's been nothing but a headache the whole time. It was a money suck. I know exactly what it's talking about of a, a wallet that's got a hole in it. And the money's just like, there it goes. Now, I'm not saying the brand of the car that I got, but never buy that brand. Terrible. I don't want to lose you for the rest of it, so I won't say the name of it. But here's the thing. Not only was it that, but you see, these people were in need of correction. So God calls them out in a way and says, hey, you need a priority shift. You need something that can shift your focus away from yourselves. You see, they were kingdom builders. But they were focused on building their own kingdom rather than God's kingdom. They were house builders, but they were focused more on their own house rather than the house of God. They were hard workers, but what were they working for? He says, consider your ways. Now, I love it because I'm not ever going to pretend to be a linguist. 
I'm not ever going to pretend to know the languages of Scripture. But what I will do is I will research what the Bible teaches, right? And so when I looked up the phrase, consider your ways, it can literally be translated to set your heart, to set your mind, to set your inner man in a new direction. So what it's saying right here is not just ponder the way that things need to be. It's not saying, hey, while you're meditating and while you're praying, just think about ways you could do better. No, he's saying, hey, consider your ways. Think about the ways that you need to change and then set your heart in a new direction. Consider your ways. And he goes on as if that's not enough. You have this second scene that breaks out and he ends it or he begins it the same way he ended the other one. He says, thus says the Lord of hosts in verse seven, if you're following along, consider your ways. Go up to the hill, bring wood and build the house that I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why? Declares the Lord of hosts. Because of my house that lies in ruins. While each of you busies himself with his own house, therefore the heavens above you have withheld the dew. The earth has withheld its produce. And I have called for a drought on the land and the hills, on the grain, the new wine, the oil, on what the ground brings forth, on man and beast, and on all their labors. You see, this plot twist happens in scene two. In the first scene, he says, you won't be satisfied. And in the second scene, he says, because I'm the Lord of hosts, because I'm over all things, you will not be satisfied because I won't allow you to be. The things that you Build with your hands won't satisfy. I won't let them. The ways that you plan on your, your money growing, your prosperity, your kingdom, it's not going to give you the results that you thought. Consider your ways. Why? Because my house remains unbuilt. My friends, when we're looking at this, I think it's really important to take a few things away. God is removing the distractions from their life. Now think about that for a second. The distractions might not be bad. He doesn't say, how dare you, Israelites, build your own house? How dare you work so hard on your fields? No, they were setting their priority. They said, my kingdom now. And God was saying, what about mine? Misplaced priorities. Even beyond that, he challenges his people to rebuild. He challenges his people to rebuild. The next scene is probably my favorite. It's such an amazing picture of the whole story of the Bible. It says this, Then Zerubbabel, 
the son of Shiltel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and all the remnant of the people obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai, the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent them. And the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message, I am with you, declares the Lord. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shotel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God, on the 24th day of the month, in the sixth month, in the second year of Darius the king. Now here's the takeaway. If you missed it, they didn't just consider their ways and decide, hey, I'm going to go and do what is right. It says that God stirred in them. God was active in the process of their redemption. God was active in the process of rebuilding his own temple. The God of hosts was over the whole thing, showing his strength. But more than that, The people obey God's command and God's response to his people is, hey, I'm with you. I know it's hard. I know rebuilding is tough. I'm with you. Remember, the temple is where God dwells. The God who speaks, the God who is personal, reaches out to his people and says, you got this. I'm with you. You in that scene and you've got this full picture of what God is trying to do. And here's the big takeaway. Are you ready? Here's how it relates to us, the church, in this day and age. We, more often than we care to admit, more often than we care to admit, have misplaced priorities when we put our own kingdoms above his. But God's message is the same. Consider your ways. Set your heart. Set your mind in the direction that you should go. Beyond that, application, the New Testament, what is the temple? We are. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3, 16, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? Now, I could talk at length about how to build our inner temple but that's not what the Bible teaches, is it? No, the Bible teaches that we were dead in our trespasses and sin. We were made in the image of God according to the book of Genesis. We sinned. Distorted images. In shambles. Broken. Can't fix it on our own. God comes in the same way He did with them and says, you can't do it on your own, can you? Guess what? I'm with you. You got this picture of the gospel. You see, Christ comes into our life and offers us something that we didn't have before. He offers us a chance at redemption. Christ died for my sin and for yours. And if we call on the name of the Lord, we can be saved. Now, The application doesn't end at salvation. You see, most of us in this room, 
we're in another category. And that category is we already are children of God. We already have this temple that's inside of us. We already are the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. So what gives? We're in this mode of recovering and pursuing. Recovery, my friends, is something that God constantly calls us to take steps in, to constantly consider our ways, to constantly grow in the direction that we're supposed to be growing. You see, God is calling us to something different. He's calling us out of our apathy. He's calling us out of our procrastination. He's calling us out of our pride. And He's calling us out of our greed. Some of us in this room have been building our kingdoms. Maybe it's a literal house. Maybe it's a political house. Maybe it's our children's future. Maybe it's the school system. Maybe it's the sports that are in our life. But each one of us has a specific kingdom that we have sacrificially poured our blood and sweat and tears into. Consider your ways. God is calling us to something more. Church, a group of people that comes together for the sake of the gospel and for the Lord Jesus Christ is a church that is a force to be reckoned with. What is the state of God's kingdom What is the amount of labor that you are putting into God's kingdom? You see, the call out, the rebuke that God had in the book of Haggai, it hits really close to home in my life. And it should hit close to home in yours as well. So back to my doghouse. We finally finished it. I was going into high school. I was a teenager. You know what spurred us into action? My best friend in the world came over to my house. We were playing basketball in the backyard. And he said, man, that thing's been broken forever. Y'all ever going to fix that? My dad was there like flipping burgers. And it was convicting. So that weekend we finished it. The project that had been undone, we intended to fix it. Maybe that's what you need in your spiritual life today. Is God calling you out saying, hey, uh, that thing that's been broken in your life for so long, Maybe today is the day to fix that. Consider your ways.